Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Citation Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of For All You Kids Out There, a Mets-adjacent baseball prospectus podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Pedernostro, and with me once again this week is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, it is almost December. This year that will never end is almost over. Don't say that. I mean, just in calendar sense. It's not still March. I thought it was like March 228. Uh, it's been a long year. Yeah. Does it feel like the Major League Baseball season only ended a month ago? I mean, I I mentioned it to Kate in a different context the other day. It was like, does it really feel like the Justin Turner super spreading event was only a month ago? Yeah. Because uh, that it didn't. I, it's the longest month in human history, right? <laughs> Outside of March. And maybe April. Yeah. Uh yeah, since then there's what there's been a presidential election. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just been nine hundred. There's been so many things that have happened that you like don't even remember that they happened. Uh, the Jets have lost a bunch more <laughs> football games. Uh, uh, there's already been a super spreader NCAA basketball event. Yeah, the NFL's like on the verge of the season collapsing. I. We don't talk a ton about football on this podcast. We do for not. Various reasons. But the fact that the NFL like saw everything that happened with Major League Baseball, because you know they were paying attention. Of course. And somehow decided to do a worse job is just... <laughs> Defector wrote about this, I think, either uh, last week or the week before, that they seem to have a curiously low number of positive tests coming on Sunday and then a lot on Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> Sure do. Mm. I I mean, Denver literally had all three of their available four. quarterbacks. Four. Cut, four? Sorry, four. Kibosh because of not following whatever the NFL's even flimsy protocols were. Yes. Just, like, not wearing masks in, like, obvious masking situations, <laughs> The NFL can't practice Monday and Tuesday. They can still play Monday Night Football. And possibly that Tuesday game, they've had to push back from Thursday and then Sunday already. Yes. But they can't practice because they suspect that players were just openly flouting the protocols over we're, Thanksgiving. <laughs> we're recording this on early Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And the Denver Broncos... As you mentioned, all four of their quarterbacks are either COVID positive or COVID protocols. They wanted to sign one of their own coaches to play quarterback. When that wasn't allowed, they are 
pulling a wide receiver off of their own practice squad who was the backup quarterback in college for his freshman and sophomore years and converted to slot receiver as a junior in college and then went undrafted as a wide receiver. I... Yeah, I mean... Something, point, something competitive integrity. Right, if you're at all worried about the competitive integrity of that game, they should not be playing it. They, they just, they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, let alone the fact that there's obviously some sort of uncontrolled COVID outbreak in Denver, and they shouldn't be playing it on those grounds, but you've got And a, Baltimore, for that matter. Yeah. But you've got... You know, a game that, like, theoretically actually matters in your standings, and it's a quarterback that is generously their fifth stringer. Generously, yeah. Generously, and these, you know, the Saints are in a playoff spot, and the Broncos are kind of, like, on the periphery of the playoff race. So this is not, like, this is not a completely meaningless game for both teams. Yeah. I, you know, there's certainly an argument to shut down for two weeks and come back with the 20 teams that are still in playoff contention, you know, sort of like what the NBA did, but they're just not going to do that because the TV money and gambling interests, honestly, fantasy football and all that other stuff. The Jets kicker just shanked a 35-yard field goal in their continuing quest to uh, gain the draft rights to Trevor Lawrence. Hmm. We were talking about this pizza a little bit this morning. Uh, That if the Jets' ownership and the Jets' front office was trying to soft tank, they would just have left Adam Gase in place and told him to continue calling plays and playing all of his favorite bad veterans. Yeah, I mean, Frank Gore is literally still playing football. Yeah, Frank Gore, they just, they just had a second and ten and ran Frank Gore, uh, second and ten in the red zone and ran Frank Gore up the middle for a loss of one. And look, as a lapsed Niners fan, I am would like nothing more than to see Frank Gore pass Walter Payton for career sure. rushing yards, just sure. for the jollies, but yeah. I mean. Yeah, and... Trevor Lawrence is, you know, one of the best quarterback prospects of our lifetime. Well, I'm sure once they hire Jim Harbaugh to coach him up, there's no possible way that could go badly. But, like, the the idea, they should be hard tanking, not soft tanking, given the incentives. It's It's, like, almost a little bit nice that NFL teams don't have... Like in basketball and even in baseball, some they'll outright tank. Teams will mm-hmm. outright tank in certain situations. In football, there's still, I don't know, some sort of gentleman's agreement to not hard tank or really even soft tank. Right. Much past what the Jets, you know, the Jets trade off some of their better veterans, but they're still out there, you know. Adam Gase is still out there doing like win now strategies or at least what he thinks are win now strategies and i've gone out is there is that the like, secret hard tank though just letting adam gase do his thing that's what I said. yeah instead yeah. of not firing him and i don't even right. know who they'd replace him with i'd like random matter. offensive coordinator that's not allowed to call plays yeah dual login <laughs> or something like that uh, yeah 
Definitely no Jets news other than that this week. The Jets. Yeah. We can do some media criticism on this podcast. If you want. Uh, can we just move on to the Mets and talk about sure. their... Uh, so in what seemed like, as you know, as long as this month has been, and what seemed like it was more than a month ago, but it was just earlier this week, uh, Sandy Alderson had a press conference to basically... That was this week, wasn't it? It was, like Tuesday. Yeah. To announce that they are no longer hiring for a president of baseball operations, but will be hiring a GM. And that he will yeah. functionally serve as the president of baseball operations for at least this season. So, a lot of folks read this as they're waiting for Theo Epstein, or they're waiting for somebody else. I don't think that's actually the case. I agree. If they were doing that, they would have named an interim GM, not a actual... Theo Epstein is not going to want to walk into a front office with the guy who has been making baseball decisions as his boss and a GM that he didn't hire but is now stuck with. You could go get Jason McLeod and like... Right. Uh, so, like, that's just not... I, like, I don't think... Or Theo you could, Epstein if, you know, if you're bringing John Rico, you can bring John Rico over for a year. Right. That That was, you know... You could have made John Rico or Tommy Tannis or somebody the interim GM for a year. Sandy could also have functioned as the interim GM for a year. But instead of doing that, they're actually hiring a full-time long-term GM. Right. And they've talked about, I think Sandy said at the press conference, someone that can grow into the president of baseball operations role. And, like, the funny – it's like, look, that's a fake title. It's a fake title and salary bump to keep your long-term – GM from leaving in a lot of cases. You know, some teams do it, some teams don't. But so, what it functionally does is for the cases of, you know, like Eric Neander or David Force, because those titles exist, but teams don't consider them promotions per se, in the sense that hiring an assistant general manager as your general manager would be, they don't have to work within the sort of gentleman's agreement to allow those people to interview for better job quote-unquote better jobs they can just enforce their contracts if there's one thing these like mckinsey assholes in front offices and ownership groups like doing right now it's enforcing those contracts right so there is some kind of narrative that the mets are kind of striking out which both colin and alderson have acknowledged did you watch the colin smi interview no i didn't yeah i did i, I don't think there was anything fantastically newsworthy other than him uh revealing that he was the (laughs) he's the anonymous owner of the buckner ball yeah uh but one one thing he did say was that they've had a harder time attracting outside front office talent than he thought because other teams weren't letting their targets interview so that is part of it i think part of it certainly is i don't put much stock in the idea that Elderson himself is a roadblock here long term because you're taking that job knowing that Elderson's only going to be around for a few years and will probably be fairly hands off if you were to take a president of baseball operations job and he's so widely respected within the game for the most part I don't think that's the issue now when you start hearing John Rico's coming back and JP Ricciardi's coming back you know these guys if you're Chernoff or Forst or Neander 
the one thing, there's several things the Mets offer you that your current team doesn't, but it does offer you the ability to build out your staff and front office the way you want. Yes. In a way that, you know, they can't do in Cleveland or Tampa or Oakland because they haven't been the guy. Yes. So when suddenly Alderson's lieutenants are going to be in the room and, yeah. you know, the scouting, you know, the, the scouting staff is staying intact yeah. as well. Again, not a, I don't think as large an impediment as having, you know, major, you know, special assistant or AGM level guys around. Cause you can still, the Mets will still need to build out amateur and pro scouting. So you can hire your scouts that you However, want to poach anyway. Certainly, it's certainly my understanding that whatever incoming president of baseball operations and general manager came in was going to be expected to keep Tommy Tannis, Mark Tarot, right, right. written all again, again, we're talking about Sandy's, more of Sandy's lieutenants. And a large, you know, the scouting staff that it, I, I am not expecting wide-scale turnover on the scouting staff at sure. either the top or lower levels mm-hmm. based on you know, things I've heard. Which, again, I don't know if that is the specific Im- impediment here. I think it could be an impediment for some candidates. Right. But it is part, of, it's part of sort of part. a larger narrative around the, you know, what's going to be the Mets front office going forward. I mean, listen, I, you know, there was a prominent name out there that I know turned them down. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly of the expectation that there were at least a few more. So I think it is true that they got turned down by a number of the candidates. Now you also have candidates who weren't on the interview. Yeah. And that's always a tricky line too, because sometimes, sometimes they want the owners, they'll make ownership be the bad guy for them. Yes. And sometimes it's the opposite mm-hmm. that they'll want to reject it. So you're, you're, you're dealing with, when you're dealing with people that are currently employed elsewhere, there's a lot of things going on. You know, yeah. you, some of these candidates, I, I know for a fact that there was somebody who was showing interest in the Mets job to get a raise, basically, a sure. Mets job to get a raise, uh, who was not actually the same person. These are just, you know, these are things you hear, in, and again, these are all secondhand reports. So these are, but, you know, the things you think would be happening or happening you know in your regular job you know if you want a raise at your job what's the easiest way to get a raise at your job have a get a cash even you shouldn't do this but have another job that you can force them to issue a counter offer against yeah that's you know sometimes there are some there are some industries major league baseball being one of them where that's the best way to get a raise and a promotion but I would not recommend that. I'm a avid reader of Ask a Manager, and she generally recommends not doing that. Because if you're thinking of leaving your current job, uh, they're aware of that. Yeah, I, mean, you, I, uh... I had a friend do that, and two things happened. Mm-hmm. One, he realized that the outside offer was better than the one they had, the, yeah. the job he had. And two, when he brought it back to the job he had currently, the response was, great, thanks for working with us. Right. That can also happen. Right. And that can also happen in baseball, too, mm-hmm. right? But, it, you know, 
candidates can be what again when you're dealing with somebody that has a job currently in a GM search or a president of baseball operations search, you're also dealing with that team's internal politics. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, theoretically, they've interviewed six candidates. Uh, two of the names are out there publicly. It's just Michael uh, Hill and Chris Young. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris Young has been pushed a lot by two particular writers, Andy Martino and Bill Madden. I mean, it's like a known fact this is coming from Rob Manfred, right? Like, I don't that think this is a secret. Fact, that was, in fact, in Bill Madden's <laughs> right. article right below where... Which is why we know that Chris always... Young interviewed for the Mets job, because it's leaking <laughs> league office side versus, you know, yes. I don't, let's say hypothetically, uh, I don't know, uh... Who's that Phillies assistant GM that was like a hot candidate? Whose name I can't remember now. Probably not a good example. Yes, I don't. I actually. Well, let's don't. say let's say Jason McLeod had interviewed. Like yeah. it would have had to come from the Cubs side. Right. The and Mets they, are not leaking their interview list right. this time around, like they did. I mean, if they had Wagner, they weren't even doing leaking it. They were doing <laughs> it publicly and having them do press availabilities right, right. as part of the interview process, which was genuinely the weirdest thing i've ever seen so i have a, a slightly hot take here probably yeah i don't fucking care who they hire as gm to an extent like mets twitter is fucking obsessed with the idea that they need to get one of these hot 38 year old agms or gm level guys yeah but i'll like what do you actually think they're doing it's like some bullshit great man of history theory yeah. Like, yeah, they're going to give the press conferences. The important thing is they need to know who to hire, which is why I would want, you know, Billy Owens over Chris Young. Although it is amusing to me that Chris Young is the only, like, 38-year-old Ivy League grad Mets Twitter doesn't want in that job. It's because he hasn't been on the list. Right. And that's the thing. So the lists, the lists are very important, as we've gone over on the show before. The lists are just who is friendly to you and who talks to you. Yes. And like, look, I have. A, there was a prominent recent member of the Mets front office who made a lot of these lists. And he made a lot of these lists because he was friends with the writers writing them. Yep. And I will not say who. You can probably figure it out. But, you know, that's. And look, that's I like, we happens. talk to people in the industry all the time. I wish them well on their career track. I think a lot of them should get hired for better positions than what they have now. I'm not going to write an article about it because it's not my job to do PR. Um, I remember one of these lists that was written a number of years ago uh, by somebody who's no longer in baseball writing uh, was also somebody I knew and tracked very closely with who his actual friends are. Um, that's, you know, it's just something that happens. Um, so the idea, listen, I have no idea what Chris Young's qualifications for major league general manager are, right? right? I also have no idea what, I don't know, Jason McLeod, we keep using Jason McLeod, let's, Let's use a different uh, candidate, right? We're supposed to. So are they? Sure. Right. Um, 
Because he pops up on a lot of these lists, and he's interviewed for a lot of jobs recently. Yeah. Um, Matt Arnold. Sure. I don't think he's actually a candidate, but... I think he just got a raise. I think he's one of the guys who just got a raise in a promotion recently. Billy Owens. Sure. We said this before on the show. There's there's a lot of people... Wildly unqualified to cast any kind of opinion on this kind of shit because it's corporate politics right so bobby heck is no you're hiring a senior vice president of you know operations for your fortune 500 company so bobby heck is no longer a candidate for Mets gm as reported by i believe martino but we all share this um and you know, I have certainly seen people express displeasure that Bobby Heck is not a GM candidate anymore. I do not know what Bobby Heck's qualifications to be a GM candidate were, and you don't either. Have we learned nothing from Jack Z? I mean, we haven't, right. basically, but... You know, again, I think I actually know Bobby Heck a little bit. So I, I'm actually not going to use my normal disclaimer that I don't know him. I, I run into, I think I run into my games occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, we we write about this stuff. Do you know what Bobby Heck has done in the Rays front office? I mean, I could probably find out, but I, I, I don't do. know if I'm going to get like a boilerplate response either. What accomplishments does he have that would right. dial into being a the general manager of the Mets? When you see the articles written about him, they start talking about Astros dudes he drafted 10 years ago. Right. That should have made him a qualified candidate for like 15 GM jobs before this. And mm-hmm. his name really didn't come up for a lot of them. Well, to be fair to Bobby Heck, the industry went in a certain direction 10 years ago in terms of the types of GM they hired. They weren't good scouts, basically. I am absolutely not saying that you right. no, I know what you're saying. hire Bobby Heck as your general manager. I genuinely don't know whether you should hire Bobby Heck as your general manager or not. That's what I'm saying. I, I have no basis on how to answer that question i can't even start you shouldn't be hiring a gm based on how good the press will be at the athletic like how many fawning columns and sourced ken rosenthal pieces you'll get about your new gm should be hiring a gm that a that's how the wilpons hired their gm it wasn't the athletic it was the new york post news newsday but you should hire a guy that knows who to hire to build out your staff in the front office, which they need desperately, especially in ops, analytics, and development. Somebody that can synthesize information, but generally will stay out of the way of the subject matter experts and go from there. Now, all that being said, the Sandy Alderson, the Mets organization, should have the information needed to make a good decision here. Sure. We don't. Mm-hmm as outside observers, but they should be able to from an inside position. But even at the inside positions, listen, it's been a lot of writing over the last five years about 
the Mark Shapiro tree mm-hmm. and Corn Ferry and how all that transpired. A lot of that is networking too. Yeah. It's not just networking with the head baseball writers at the athletic to get yourself on the athletics GMs list. It's also networking with the people that have the hiring power. Yep. Sandy Alderson's, you know, has a network too. That's why John Rico and JP Riccardi are on their way back into Mets baseball operations. Yeah. I, you know, those were not hot names in baseball (laughs) over the last two years. So, you know, you start looking at, okay, what does Sandy Alderson's network look like? Yeah, Chris Young makes a lot of sense, right? You know, yep. Sandy Alderson's a long time, both at various times, either ally or functionary of the league office. Mm-hmm. And Chris I mean, Young is the rising star in the league office. He's Peter Woodfork's lieutenant and certainly woodford has been linked to the mets job at various times yeah and i'm sure was at the league office at the same time alderson was yeah so you know you look at the oakland days the guy (laughs) who has been reported most in connect i don't even want to say reported the guy who has had the most scuttlebutt attached to him consistently from start to finish on this job from Five minutes after we found out Sandy Alderson was going to be the team president, it was Billy Owens. Mm-hmm. Billy Owens has just worked with Sandy Alderson for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, you know, David Forrest had some heat behind him for president of baseball operations. David Forrest I mean, again, Sandy Alderson, literally Billy Bean's mentor. Right. You have, and Sandy Alderson has a wide network in baseball. That doesn't, mean he's got, doesn't mean he's going to hire one of his own protégés. Doesn't mean he's going to hire somebody off his own. Coaching trees, or let's not coaching, uh, general managing tree. Yeah, doesn't mean that, but you know, he's there's networking here, right? You know, Jeff Wilpon gave Brody Van Wagenen <laughs> the GM job because he liked talking base. That was like his guy he went to to talk about base. It was like his outside advisor. Why the fuck is an owner of a baseball team, your chief outside advisor would be the head agent <laughs> at the second largest baseball agency. Who represents yeah. a large percentage of your players. It's beyond me, right? Like, like why would you do that? I, I can't answer that. But Didn't I just say last week I don't have to consider the mindset of Jeff Wolfon anymore. I still have to a little bit. But, uh... Yeah, so, you know, I certainly would hope and assume that Sandy Alderson is going to have a better process than that. Uh, But I I don't think as outside observers we have a great ability to assess, like, first-time entry-level GM candidates. Mm -hmm. We have some, you know, we can pick up hints. We certainly have the ability to assess GM candidates with a long history. Right? right. I mean, hypothetically, if this were a Phillies podcast, which it never is, and you learn that the Phillies were uh, floating names like Brian Sabian, Ned Coletti, Dan O'Dowd, and Jim Hendry, which may have been a thing that happened this week, we could have some takes. 
Yeah, Brian Sabian, I think, is a perfectly fine hire. Sure. Uh, if your thought process has led you to consider Jim Hendry to run <laughs> your baseball team in 2020, it's went wrong. Right. Uh, for, for a name that I think might have a little more relevance here, let's say Billy Epler. Uh-huh. I could see Billy Epler being accounted for the Mets. Uh, right. And Epler comes with his own, I think, a similar set of problems that Michael Hill does. Yeah. Where how much of what happened in Los Angeles is the weird whims of Artie Moreno and how much was Billy Epler. And you can look, Epler certainly built up that farm system quickly from being a consistent sort of bottom five org on our list to you know, one chock full of high upside talent, if nothing else. And it's (laughs) weirdly enough, sort of the best player development success story they've had is probably David Fletcher, who is not that type of prospect at all, but there's a pipeline now at least. Yeah. But there's also things I would be wary about Mm. with Billy Appler. Uh, You know, the angels have, uh, made some weird player acquisition moves in that time period, right? And they've mm-hmm. been unable. Well, so this guy was the general manager of the Angels for five years with Mike Trout <laughs> as his centerpiece player and couldn't build a playoff team. And, you know, for a and, team that needs to fill out the back half of their rotation, if you look at the Angels pitching staff the last few years, yeah, it'd make me a little nervous. Yeah. But there's but that's more like that's like we can we can say that right we can say like I know again. what the I know what the relative strengths and weaknesses of Billy Epler are I have no fucking idea what the relative strengths and weaknesses of Bobby Hack are and, and I I don't want to say nobody listening to this podcast does <laughs> because strictly speaking that's probably not true but the vast majority of our listeners don't have that information right. uh, you know, so if, if you are a diehard Tampa Bay Rays enthusiast who is a very close observer of their front office. And yeah, but that's a fairly one, opaque front of, office too, is the thing. Right. Or, or not one of the assholes on Twitter that <laughs> thinks they're that. But if you actually are, yeah, maybe you've got an idea, Bobby Heck. If you're a Tampa Bay Rays writer, sure. you might. Um, but it's, it's not like, yeah, it's, it's not super easy to say what the strengths and weaknesses of candidates that haven't really had any substantial individual decision-making and certainly haven't had any public decision-making authority actually are. So it's hard for us to judge this. Just to put a bow on, a bow on this segment, um, the idea is the Mets are going to be Dodgers East. And you can certainly correlate recent Dodgers success with hiring Andrew Friedman away from Tampa Bay and making him president of baseball operations. Yeah. How much of the Dodgers success in the last decade or so is directly resultant from Andrew Friedman's ideas about baseball versus the people he hired to put in place to execute on various analytics, player development, player acquisition strategies. Andrew Friedman's ideas about baseball are that you hire a bunch of really smart people right. and see what comes of it. 
that is his idea about baseball, but his direct ideas about baseball is almost <laughs> not. Yeah. Like, he, he's not, you know... Some of the bigger None moves, of these guys sure, do, sure because they're do. all MBAs from Ivy League schools, is the thing, for I, the most part. You know, it's been written about, you know, Andy McCullough's written about this, and some other Dodgers writers have written about how their large-scale team-building idea was basically get a, get a top three superstar. Mm-hmm. And they got Mookie Betts. So yep. from that perspective, yeah. But I seriously I mean, Get doubt good players Andrew, is not a revolutionary Andrew, idea. Right. Andrew Friedman was not the direct guy that was responsible for digging up Max Muncy. Right. Andrew Friedman put in place processes that were responsible for digging up Max Muncy. And that's sort of my, my broader point here. I'll also add, since we're... Uh... Andrew Friedman... A better example of this. Andrew Friedman in probably no way was responsible for drafting and developing Tony Gonsolin. He was responsible for putting in place the processes that would lead you to draft Tony Gonsolin and lead Tony Gonsolin to develop. Mm-hmm. You know. There's been a, I, I don't remember who posted someone on going around much Twitter. Like if you could only, if you only acquire two players from the list of like high level free agents and trade targets, like who would Real you? Muto and Lindor. Yes. It's just, it is. It is because they are, the best players in baseball at their relative position. Yes, it's Real Muto and Lindor. Anytime you can get the best player in baseball at their position, you do it because there's only one of them. Yes. And again, you know, at least for Lindor, that's a little bit arguable. Sure, sure. What did to tell me Fernando Tatis was the best shortstop in baseball? Sure. I'm not like actually going to argue with you over it. But... You, know, you can you're, make you're the same case for a grand doll against Real Muto. But... Right. You're, you're also not getting yeah. those guys. Right. Whereas if you don't get George Springer this offseason, can you get a George Springer... You can get a George Springer quality outfielder relatively easily. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to wildly overstate that, but he's he's a very 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 good I mean, baseball player like definitionally a high six low seven outfielder there's probably 10 of them in any given time right roughly um you know if you do not get george springer this off season you know starling Marte is a free agent next off season mm. and Charlie Blackman is a free agent next off. They're not as good as Springer. No, they're not. Uh, you know, they're, but there's a, yeah, ironically, Michael Conforto is a free agent <laughs> next off. Maybe that's not a useful example in this circumstance. But, you know, if you don't get a catcher this offseason, Jeffrey, do you know who the best catcher available next offseason is going to be? Uh... Oh, it's a funny one. My, oh fuck! Is it Travis Star now? It is Travis Star. <laughs> it's either Travis Star or Sal Perez. But okay, it's funnier if we say it's Travis Star now. Sure, and it probably is Travis Star now. You know. yeah, now, I was just going to guess Kurt Suzuki because it's like often a, been Kurt Suzuki. There's a big shortstop crop in free agency next year, including Lindor himself. You know, Javi Baez is a free agent. Correa is a free agent. Story is a free agent. Uh, 
Seager is a free agent. Right. How many of those guys are you confident are actually going to hit free agency at the end of the 2021 season? I'm pretty confident Baez is. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Yeah. Baez was also, again, a longtime consumer of this podcast and other podcasts I've done. Baez, once again, has a lower OPS plus for his career than Wilmer Flores. Yes. Uh, also, getting Francisco Lindor does not actually stop you from signing Javi Baez. It doesn't. Who- is a fantastic second, eight second baseman yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so that doesn't. I, or Corey Seager, for that matter, yeah, who probably should be playing Seager. second or third, or Carlos yeah, Correa, who third, should probably yeah. be playing second or third. Yes. Uh, Trevor Story uh, is still a pretty good shortstop, so. Yes. But you. So, I mean, some idiot thought Trevor Story was going to be better as a third baseman when he was a prospect, but. Who is that? No one on this show, certainly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, you, you, but yeah, it's Real Muto, it, you know, because the answer, one of the Tims, I forget what <laughs> we do this every week. Yeah. Postulated that signing Springer and James McCann is better than signing Real Muto and Jackie Bradley Jr. One, I don't actually think that's true. Sure. Two. If you're going, I I think it's much easier to go year to year on a good defensive center fielder with some offensive ability than trying to go year to year on catcher because when you right. go to year to year on catcher, you end up signing a lot of Wilson Ramos kind of deals and ends up going south pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And the Mets, essentially since Piazza left, have had exactly that problem. Oh, Paula Duca Racer. Paul, Paul Duke was fine for like two years. Year and a half. That's, yeah, that's, that's, fine. that's the point. Right. That you're, you don't have a long-term catching solution. You end up running through some trash. Mm-hmm. Just Because there's just like that. There's not catchers. Like you can't aren't catchers, up yeah. a catcher. How confident is anybody that James McCann is going to retain his defensive jumps and continue to be a very good hitter moving forward. The guy is two years off being non-tender. He's also in his 30s. Like, he's older than right. Real Muto, I think. Right. Only like a year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're you're betting a lot that he's going to retain jumps that he just made in a 30-game sample size. Yeah. 30 games. He wasn't... He, as a backup catcher to Yasmani right. Grandpa. White Sox right? went and like, look, sign Real Muto and James McCann and make him the backup catcher. I don't think you're going to get James McCann to sign as backup sure, catcher. Sure, fine. Uh, yeah, because you do have to remember when you're trying to get players to sign to be backups, like a lot of times they just won't in a short-term situation because they don't have the opportunity to show off for the next team. Yeah. So that that's always something you have to remember when you're, I, like, I've seen this idea, like, floating around, like, that the Mets should sign, like, I don't know, Omar enough, star, enough starters to make, like, James Paxton their seventh starter. Well, hmm. the thing is, if James Paxton's going to be your seventh starter, like, someone's going to give him a comparable starter. contract to... Take or the ball every fifth day. A little bit less, but yeah. yeah, he wants he wants the ability to actually start because he's he's signing a one year make good in the right. hopes that he's 
James Paxton from three years ago and then gets like a nice big Zach Wheeler contract on the other side of it. Right. You got to guarantee him the spot and then sign like a Trevor Williams level guy to send to Syracuse. Right. So, you know, this was, this was one of the reasons the Mets would give playing time promises to the Michael Walkers and Adrian Gonzalez's of the world. The problem was they were doing it to guys that weren't good enough. Right. At least James Paxton, he's probably going to be healthier unavailable. Or sorry, right. good or unavailable. Right. That's that's my that's my line. If he's you healthy, are... he's good. So. Right. Uh, and you have like a David Peterson to use as like your up and down guy because David Peterson doesn't have the contractual right to complain about that yet. Yeah. This is how you end up. You know, Kike Hernandez is probably not going to resign with the Dodgers to stay in his previous role because mm-hmm. he wants to be a starter or something. Right. So the idea that the Mets could sign Kike Hernandez to play the same role that he was on the Dodgers, the entire point is he wants to go out and start somewhere, which he has not gotten the chance to do because he's been buried in a system. You know, Cleveland could go and make him the everyday second baseman. Right. So, like, these guys... Guys on like the one year make good contracts are evaluating like where am I going to get a chance to play? Where am I going to get a chance to thrive as much as anything? And I think sometimes uh, fans don't kind of see that. And there's also a reason the Mets only got like the third tier version of those guys during the Wilpon era. Pay it off. All that too. Uh, speaking of that, as part of sort of the Cohen and Alderson full court media press this week they have been on a bunch of like radio and tv hits they're saying they're working the phones and talking to free agents i don't know if this is just boilerplate reassurance that they don't need a front office in place to sign the george springers of the world but yeah there's been so sandy gave some quotes to ironically jim duquette of mlb radio um blast from the past today that we're making the rounds uh you know basically the same kind of stuff that they're being aggressive they're prioritizing you know taking on money versus shipping talent out which is a theme that he's made repeatedly uh since the very first press conference and doesn't start he is doing that explicitly to provide a stark contrast with jeff wilpon who always wanted to send more talent off to take on less money don't don't be i would not read into that that they are not interested in trading good prospects for francisco Lindor. i would read into that that they're not interested in trading better prospects to get the indians to retain Lindor's 2021 arbitration money or to avoid taking on carlos carrasco's money or to get Carlos Carrasco in the deal, but have the Indians set in 50% salary covers that they're not just going to throw in JT gain to get that done, which the previous regime absolutely would have done. Jeff Wolpon absolutely would have done that and did that repeatedly. Yeah. So he sure did. did. Uh, And that was uh, certainly something I think you could read some frustration into from Alderson when he was here last time was that that was happening and it's certainly you know this you want to go back and revisit and we talked about this particular thing at the time we talked about this when the rumors were going out there initially if you go back and listen to the podcast in this period 
the one the the biggest thing we did not like about the Edwin Diaz Robinson Cano trade at the time, they traded better talent to get the Mariners to take to hold money back. I don't know if they would have been able to kept keep Kalnick because of it. I actually suspect they wouldn't have. I suspect that if they had not included Kalnick, that the Mariners would have dealt Diaz to the Phillies. I don't know that for sure because the Mariners ownership was really interested in dumping as much of the Cano money as they could. And the Phillies ownership was not interested in taking the Cano money on at all. And it wasn't clear that Cano was going to approve a trade there anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but they absolutely included better talent in that deal to get them to send 20 million in salary covers and to get them to take the Bruce and Suarez Act contracts back. They absolutely sent a better talent package out there. And that was something we criticized at the time. And we criticized and, it during the entire 2017 trade deadline when they refused yes. to eat money on the deadline deals to get better than roll three relievers prospects back from various yes. teams. Yes, which, you know, they... They didn't, and that's they a much were, more minor always, example of it, but right. it's party to the theme. And they were always unwilling to, until curiously at the 2020 trade deadline, when they were all of a sudden willing to <laughs> take on option buyouts for 2021 when they weren't on the team anymore. Yeah, uh, the Mets. But yeah, that's always that was always a theme, and they would always trade a little more to get a guy. This is a Marcus Stroman trade. Yeah. You know? They dealt more in talent for Marcus Stroman than they, quote, should have because Marcus Stroman was under relatively cheap team control through 2020. Mm -hmm. they, paid, they paid a premium to get a cost-controlled player, and Alderson has been very clear that he, is not, that he wants to pay premiums for talent and not cost control anymore, which is a major, major change from literally everything the Mets have done for the last 17 years. Speaking of cost control, the next major marker of the free agent schedule is the non-tender deadline, which is this Friday. Yes. This is going to be a bloodbath across baseball, but it is. for the Mets purposes, there's really only, I think, three players in consideration here. Uh, Guillermo Heredia, who should probably be non-tendered. Guillermo yeah, Heredia shouldn't be on a 40-man <laughs> Well, like, I think do a non-tender. Right, but I mean, like, yes, they can they can use this to remove him from the forty-man roster if they're so inclined, which yeah. they should be. And then two interesting cases we should probably talk about a little bit more in depth. Uh, Stephen Matz, who's probably due to get about five-ish million, depending on how arbitration plays out this off-season, and God only knows. But I'm actually probably more on the fence here than I thought I'd be at this point in time. I think they should not intend their mats. So here's the here's my counter-argument to that. If the idea is that you don't have to sort of sweat the margins, I think a lefty with his previous track record and stuff is worth bringing to camp, and you can just cut him for term pay, which is going to be under a million bucks anyway. Yeah, but how are you going to evaluate... I don't think the problem is bringing Steven Matz into camp. I don't think the problem is the financial outlay to Steven Matz. I think it's the opportunity cost of 
they should they should be doing better than Stephen Matz in the top five spots of the rotation. They just they should be. Okay. Um. Is you know, kind I of just, like I, if another team fixes them, God bless them and Godspeed. If you're looking at taking reclamation projects that you only have under team control for one year, take one with a bigger up. Take Corey yeah. Kluber, James Paxton. They're better pitchers when they're good. Yeah. It's a reasonable point. I just think in camp you have, you can do both. There's less of an opportunity cost for like spring training innings. To be clear, I think they're going to tend their match. Uh-huh. Um, he's been working with Phil Regan, Jarrett. Yeah, I mean, he's been working at the complex, which wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense if they were planning on not tendering him. And then, uh, podcast concern, Robert Gazellen. Yeah, I mean, I think you tender him. Oh yeah, a little bit over a million dollars. Right, I think that's just... There's no real opportunity cost there. I mm-hmm. wouldn't be... I wouldn't be surprised if he got non-tendered, but I don't. They don't really need 40-man spots because they've got plenty of stuff they can clear if they... Yeah, he has options, yeah. which is helpful. Uh, I just I don't think there's a big reason to non-tender him, given that he's going to make so little and has options. I wouldn't be shocked if they did. That's the he Mets. Made, he made one point two two five million last year. He's. Going I think to I get, saw like one point four is like the number. Right, for... He's going to get a very. He's going to get one of the smallest possible raises because he barely pitched and had a penny RA. So that's the Mets. Uh, Why do across baseball? And I guess I'll tie this in with our final topic for the first half, which is the coming announcement of minor league realignment early next week. Uh, yeah, it's going to be bad out there if you're an ARB 1 or ARB 2, and even some ARB 3 major leaguers that aren't obvious starters or stars, or even some that might be minor yeah, stars. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, my prediction for this is that there's going to be a star name that people do not expect to get non-tendered that's going to get non-tendered, um... Somebody in the Chris Bryant grouping. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's going to be Chris Bryant. It would not shock me if it was Chris Bryant. I don't think it's going to be I, Chris Bryant. but I I think you would be surprised at how little trade value expensive good players have on the market right now. I think they're more likely to trade him for a very marginal prospect than non-tender him just from an optics point of view. I think that's probably right. Yeah. But again, I would not be surprised if there's a very surprising non-tender or two. Yeah. Um, and hey, that should be in on Chris Bryant. <laughs> sure. As a non-tender, as a trade candidate, um, he's, you know, what if J.D. Davis but good? <laughs> sure. <laughs> You know, they they spin on a lot of guys in that frame. All right, here's a here's a fun I don't think they'll non tender him, but he's in that general 
vicinity. Mm-hmm. Andrew Benintendi. I heard an Andrew Benintendi non tender rumor the other day. Don't think I believe it, but yeah. Um, yeah, that's out there. He has a fairly high salary platform year. Yeah. I can't tell. It looks like Spotrack says he's projected to make ten million next year. I mean, Chris Cotillo, very good reporter. Um, and Alex Fire, also a very good reporter, both said in the past week that the Red Sox have been shopping him and he has, like, no trade value. Mm-hmm. Paraphrasing. But, you know, he had a big platform here. So he's going to be expensive. He's on a team that clearly has no intention of doing anything anytime soon. And he hit a hundred and then got hurt. <laughs> yeah. So, and again, Andrew Benintendi be a very good guy for the Mets to go get, right? Yeah. He's actually a center fielder. I know he has played very little center field in the majors, but that's it's solely due to the presence of Jackie Bradley. He is a center fielder. He is a good baseball player. He is pretty young, too. Uh, yeah, he's only uh, 26. You know, that's that's a guy... I'd be, I, I'd be very interested in, like, the upside mid-20s guys that had hellish 2020s and that you can basically throw out. I mean, he's two years removed from being a nearly five-win player. Yeah. Fantastic prospect. So he's got the prospect background. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would be very interested in, like, the Andrew Benintendi-Chris Bryant class, and I think there's a decent chance one or two of them gets non-tendered. But now you want to talk about minor league realignment. That's, oh, that's man. That's a happier topic. Oh, man, Jarrett. So, a few weeks after imploring Major League Baseball teams to not leak information about their affiliates, which they have continued to do so, Major League Baseball will be officially announcing the 120 affiliated teams and the relevant player development contracts for 2021 sometime this week. Maybe. Um, maybe. It, it has become clear in recent days the reason they actually didn't want it leaking is because they're still trying to strong arm various cities and ownership groups, uh, most notably Fresno at the moment. I'm sure there's others into taking lower-level affiliate contracts. So this obviously isn't going to happen now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not going to... I'm not spoiling anything we're going to do. I would say... around late February, I got an idea. What if we interview Bernie Sanders on the podcast about <laughs> minor league realignment? Yeah. Not you a bad did. idea, right? You I did. thought there I was a this. chance we could get like fifteen five, minutes, yeah, yeah, like five or ten minutes with them. And I did some very preliminary work, and then the pandemic happened, and this was no longer a concern of anybody's, including Bernie Sanders. Right. Uh, and, um, I don't think that was going to happen, but I actually was planning on taking a shot at that. Mm. Um, but anyway, uh, 
because Bernie Sanders in late February, early March, is making a really big stink about this. Yeah. And so were a lot of other politicians. And then when the pandemic happened, baseball basically just got absolute carte blanche to do whatever they wanted. To. Right. Uh, they, which is like, no this longer, is like, there was no, they had the economic justification and there was no longer the political action to stop. It. Right. Cause you know, when, when the president's out there suggesting that people inject bleach to fight the coronavirus, all of a sudden the loss of the Burlington bees is no longer anybody's, you know, first, second, third or fourth priority. Right. It's the Vermont lake monsters. Oh, I mean, Burlington. Yeah, sorry. No, I actually meant the Burlington. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, and Major League Baseball has indeed gotten relative carte blanche to do what they want. and Which is interesting because this is like an all politics or local kind of thing where you'd think there would be cross-party resistance because these are in a, like, you know, whoever the, I don't even know what district the Johnson City Cardinals are in, but... You think there could be like more political will to fight this, especially given the, you know, if there's ever, look, even to this day, there are literally hundreds of things Congress should be more preoccupied with than minor league baseball realignment, but they're not going to do any of that shit. And it's an opportunity for them to grandstand, which they like to do. Right. And some of them actually probably give a shit. Like, this is actually an issue that I'm sure Bernie Sanders, given his political mindset, actually cares about. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but you had, at the time, the front-running Democratic candidate for president out there talking a lot about minor league baseball. And then a month later, it was like it never happened. Right. And you're now seeing the other side of this, where you have major league baseball... You know, it's like the shit you would see on The Sopranos, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it is a legal cartel, Jarrett. So sometimes right. they're going to act like a cartel. Yeah, taking like, taking a ball team, even though you've been a triple A team for geez, tw- yeah. twenty plus years at this point, or you're going to be on the outside looking in, and we'll just go down right. the list to the right. next you know. Northwest League team that we're currently locking out. Right, and. They've completely, bre- uh, you know, I've got no love for minor league baseball as an organizational <laughs> entity, but sure. they've shattered it. Right. Um, which wasn't the plan the entire time. They just weren't actually going to be able to do it before the pandemic started. You know, they've shattered, they've broken existing developmental affiliate deals. Um, they are taking. They are taking minor league franchises from teams like Trenton and Fresno that there were not any complaints about when mm-hmm. all this started. So they can give it to ownership buddies, basically. Right. Uh, when all this started, uh, there was a... How do I want to phrase this? A very prominent baseball writer who often writes about the minor leagues and prospects for a major website who suggested that parts of this were correct in that major league base, you know, a lot, you know, major league, the teams that major league baseball was taking baseball away from, were not doing enough to keep the standard of their facilities up. There was, listen, I know 
the Yankees wanted wanted Mercer County to pay for locker room upgrades instead of new food stands. But there was absolutely no fucking complaint that I ever heard. And, you know, the field in Trenton wasn't always super awesome. But there was no wide-scale complaint. Yeah, Hagerstown people were complaining about. There was nobody complaining about the facilities in Trenton. There was no suggestion that Trenton should use minor league baseball. And, in fact, the person I am talking about goes to Trenton pretty often. (laughs) Probably gave away who it was. Yeah, if he didn't before. Yeah. Um, and as far as I know, had never written that Triton's facilities needed to be upgraded. Um, although I will cop that I don't actually read this person's work that often. Uh, but, you know, the idea that they were only taking baseball away from places that deserve to lose their minor league bit that's fucking horseshit. And they're admitting it's horseshit by saying... They're admitting it's horseshit with the Fresno stuff. Right. Because it's not you need to do upgrades. It's not you need to do this or do that. Or it just makes really, our geographic realignment only right. works if you're right. in the Cal yes. League now. Yes. We, we just we want to leverage you. Yeah. That's what it is. So, you know, this sucks. Yeah, we're gonna keep saying it sucks, mm-hmm. and you know, if you got a problem with that, you know, you can find either of us pretty easily, right? We are extremely you know. online. Yeah, and there's you know, people have problems with it. There's people I've talked to that have problems with it. Uh, you know, there's people that think this is a good thing, and I just i I think you're losing a lot here. Yeah, and you're losing a lot in ways that are not immediately clear. Like the immediately clear part is the teams aren't having enough roster spots to develop guys. And well, it's the, not even, this is like, I know, I'm not particularly fond of slippery slope arguments. This is the beginning of something. It's not the end of something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although they're getting a lot more of it done than I think. Yeah, that's true. Done. That just means that's, they're not going to, they're going to go further than they've been planning. That's all yeah. it means. Yeah. On that note, we'll take a break. We come back, we'll do the usual third half stuff. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there, episode 254. For all you kids out there, is a Mets-adjacent Baseball Prospectus podcast. You can find us on the internet, baseballprospectus.com. The podcast is on iTunes, so search for For All You Kids Out There, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at For All You Kids. Jared's on Twitter at Jay Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash for all you kids out there. 
And you can email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectus.com. We do have an email. It's for Johnny Caps. And yes, it has a Francisco Lindor trade proposal with it. Francisco Lindor is definitely available. Yes, it's Lindor Avenue Audio, Jimenez or Rosario. Deal him, I won't be a sario. Or whatever you deem necessario for more Lindor Avenue Audio. Don't hold your prospects too close. No trade here will make you morose. The emails come in all day long, so we've had to bring back the song for Lindor Avenue Audio. Hey dudes, two questions. In a Lindor trade, it feels like the consensus is it will take Jimenez or Rosario, JD or Nemo, prospect. What do you think a trade would look like and which prospects would be on or off the table? Jared, would you have any prospect off the table for Francisco Lindor? No. Would you have any prospect off the table for Francisco Lindor if the deal was Jimenez and Nemo? No. Yeah, fair enough. I think I I think I broadly agree with that. Um Yeah, I guess the other thing we didn't talk about that happened this week is uh <laughs> Afternoon, drive time host on WFAM, Craig Carton, which is a thing I guess I have to say now, said that he had heard the Mets had a deal, the framework of a deal. I don't know. I didn't listen to it. They were talking. They were talking in terms. They were talking to Cleveland, Lindor, and the trade was going to look like something like Matt Allen plus two. It was Jeff McNeil and Matt Allen. No, it was Matt right. Allen and two of like Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nemo, Andres Jimenez, and Ahmed Rosario. Which is, you know, a weird pick because those are four right. fairly different value types and years of control and everything else. This does line up broadly with Scuttlebutt that was out there. We've both heard that the yes. that Cleveland's been Doing, let's say, due diligence on Matt Allen. Cleveland, Cleveland is planning on moving Lindor this offseason and is certainly, right. you know, assessing what they would want in such trades. I'm right? sure the Mets aren't the only team that they are doing that with, although yeah. there really hasn't been a ton of heat on Lindor going anywhere else. And that doesn't mean a team can't... Uh... Some on the Dodgers. Some on the Dodgers, sure. But yeah. Um, Who would really be like, I guess we've discussed this before. Yankees. Yankees. Uh, Cincinnati should be in on him. Um, it's a tough trade with the Yankees because, right. you know, are the Yankees really moving Davey Garcia here? Probably not. I mean, the, uh, do you really want to make this deal for Jason Dominguez? Maybe. Or the Yankees. You Andahar, Jason Andahar Dominguez? and Frazier. First of all, Frazier was already there. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. Second of it all, Frazier's already in arbitration. Like yeah. this is the this is the same thing with Rosario. Like I don't know that Cleveland's going to be looking at major at worse major league players that they don't have a lot of control over and are already going to be kind of expensive. Yeah. So, and they don't have the Phillies. Like, certainly should be in here. They won't be for. Right, but also, like, are the Phillies really trading McAble here? Mm. <sighs> I, I don't know how they're going to get out from under that $2 billion debt if you're trading for and extending Lindor. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to... 
It's fine. We don't do media the, criticism. One of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen written about, in a baseball column. About MLB's financials, which is a high fucking bar. Right. I don't, you know, obviously it was a mistake by somebody. I don't know how that mistake happened. I don't know how that mistake got through. I don't know. Mistakes were made. The piece was edited four times after publication <laughs> that I know of. It was edited four times that I saw. Uh, and that just like, I, yeah. Um, the, the actual number is the number that ultimately got put in there, but I don't, I don't know how you can conflate Also, on that number is probably made up, but at least it's probably yeah, justifiable it's, on paper. That's <laughs> the paper loss. General accounting tricks instead of, yeah. As, as had also been, you know, has it also been reported by John Clark and yeah. somebody at the Athletic, right? Sure. I don't even remember what I mean, up. every team except like, I mean... Three, maybe you should make it. Could make a case should be a non Lindor. Like it's probably not worth. It's probably worth it for the Rockies just to extend Trevor Story. It's probably worth it for the Dodgers to just extend Corey Seager versus trading for Lindor. There's some teams that are not in reasonable position to compete in 2021, like the Orioles. I don't think that should necessarily be a bar if you're going to extend him. Like there's the. Padres and Machado argument would you do it a year too early because you're going to have him still at like 28, 29 when you're cycling back up if teams sure. are even planning on cycling back up. Here's a, here's a fun one. Yeah. Let's do it. Why not the Twins do it? That's an interesting one. They have been willing to give out these kind of contracts before with Maurer. Yeah. Although you could argue that didn't didn't work out quote unquote. And Maurer was uh, maybe a sure that unique case. I'm, it's actually, it was fine if you look at the dollars per war numbers. Yeah. Um, I mean, you would have liked him to stay behind the plate a couple more years, but, you know, concussions happen when you're a catcher. Yeah. But, and he was a, a special case because he was homegrown talent. Um, you know, quite literally, he's also from the area as an amateur. So I don't know if you would get the same ownership buy-in for, you know, a uh, trade and sign but yeah that's a that's a team that could use the best shortstop in baseball to sit in the middle of that lineup and that's certainly like in the middle of their contention window right now yeah so yes as reported first on for all you kids out there Actually, as reported first on Amazing Avenue Audio, the Mets should trade for Francisco Lindor. Do you still have, like, the Shortstop Avenue Audio, like, sound clips? It's funny you should ask that, Jarrett. Francisco Lindor. Yes, he's really available. This has been... Lindor Avenue Audio, a down market Marcus Simeon. We want the mansion, not the condominium. So let's just not do the bare minimum. How about Lindor Avenue Audio? Now we've got money to burn. I want Lindor to McNeil on the turn. Then I'll find a new podcast concern as long as there's Lindor Avenue Audio. And now for the fun one. You guys will probably grow it about answering this question but I'm one of the few Mets fans who seemingly doesn't want Bauer strictly due to his political views and history of harassment. I mean, Are you really? 
I mean, few is probably fair in sort of the wider Mets fandom, unfortunately. I know you guys aren't expert on this type of thing, but in fact, have you spoken out against signing Reyes, Familia, etc.? I'm also a Knicks fan and was in the minority not wanting to sign Gordon Hayward, as he is known to be MAGA with a history of following and liking accounts I find offensive. Thankfully, Charlotte overpaid him with $130 million. As a fan, how can I square my support for the team with players whose views I am greatly offended by? Let me also clarify, I normally don't have an issue with someone having a different view than mine or having different politics, but he is not a normal politician, and these are not normal times. Sports are supposed to be a fun respite from real life, but I am feeling these words colli- worlds collide with players who vocally support this guy and what he stands for. I speak out against his supporters every day in real life. What do I do when they are on my favorite team? Johnny Caps. Um, so I think I've said this literally on the show before. Um, if you want to only root for a team uh, in a sport that mirrors your personal politics and your personal politics are even nominally left of center, you know, Major League Baseball for various institutional and structural reasons, it's probably not going to be that sport. That's just a fact of life. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, yeah. The amount of family wealth it takes to be a notable baseball prospect in America is generally fairly significant. Uh, There are exceptions to this, of course, but the travel ball sked and getting into perfect game and whatever else showcases, it's a lot of money. It's year-round baseball, and baseball is not a cheap sport between travel and equipment and fees for playing in tournaments in a lot of cases. It does add up, you know. Outside of something like maybe junior hockey or soccer, I think would probably be like like relatively comparable sports in America for that kind of like cost infrastructure. And like we said before on the show, and like let's talk about Brandon Nimmo again. The idea that he didn't have a high school baseball team is a fun fact, but really had no practical implications on him getting scouted. Yes. Because you're almost never going to high school baseball games unless it's, you know, we went to see Jack Leiter. He's also not the only meaningful prospect on that team. And we went to see him when he was pacing a major Philadelphia prep school, which also had several draft prospects on it. Yes, which had Chris Newell, who's going to be a top prospect in 2022, and had um, the kid whose name I can never remember, who's probably going to end up as a top football prospect instead yeah. of a top baseball prospect. And yeah, um, you know, Lighter's own team at Anthony Volpe. Right. And yeah, you might check in on a team like that closer to the draft, like we did, but you're also going to have a long track record on Jack Lighter well before that. Right, and, you know, Major League Team Amateur Scouts are scouting the spring baseball season. But, you know, the ball, and we talked about this when they talked, when they were shortening the draft. I wrote about this. The bulk of a team's amateur scouting work is in the summer before the draft. Right. And it's at the, you know, for college players, it's in the Bat Leagues. There are pop-up guys every year. Simeon Woods Richardson was one of them, for an example. And for high, no, Syndergaard was one of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but for high school kids, it's the showcase circuit. Yeah. 
because you want to see them against a commensurate level or as close to a commensurate level of competition as you can, and you're not going to see that. For I mean, like even at that game that we saw, there were you know you're trying to evaluate Anthony Bolfe against a guy throwing 75 miles an hour. Like, yeah. what is that really telling you? I I saw a lot more of Anthony Volpe as a prep prospect than you did because yeah. I went to a lot more of those games. And I never saw him face a pitch above 90 miles an hour. Yeah. And I only saw him face a few. You know, frankly, I didn't have my gun out most of the time. But <laughs> you, always, you always take a... Yeah, you take a courtesy read. You never know. Yeah, yeah. Some, um, some I, tall, projectable sophomore sitting 85 right. now might be worth right. there writing a name a, down. There weren't a lot of mid to high 80s mm-hmm. either. A lot of like 78s and 82s. Mm-hmm. And... You know, so you want to get a look against better quality competition. You know, I, I mentioned that when at various points when I wrote up Anthony Volpe. I don't have a great handle on, you know, his actual hit ability outside of, you know, it's very hard to get an idea of his pitch recognition mm-hmm. in that sort of environment. It's very hard to get an idea of his ability to make adjustments in that sort of environment. Because, he doesn't need to do any of that to kill that level of pitching. You know. Right. And to actually tie it back into Johnny's question, since unsurprisingly yeah. we've Straight meandered a little bit. Uh On this you know, we're talking about we're talking about like Al Leiter's kid pitching at a prep school where Chris Christie is like running the barbecue for the PTA fundraiser. Have I ever told that story on this podcast? I think we've told it a few times, yes. Yeah, I'm I, am, sure. I almost got trucked by the former governor of New Jersey walking uh, up to get a radar gun reading. Yeah. I, I bought a Sun Chips from him and his <laughs> wife. They were actually pretty nice. I'm sure he's they, a they lo- also, lovely fellow. Oh, we can, t- we can tell this one. Nah, we kind of okay, still can't. Fine. Yeah, uh, they were... Chris Christie and Al Leiter were discussing the state of the Mets. Yes. In a, in a uh, frank fashion yes let's keep a lid on that one for now um but yeah so that is the level of and you know the reason in part that jack Leiter could put a whatever his actual price tag was on his head in the draft and then go to vanderbilt is because i had fine yeah yeah uh, the numbers out there were between four and six million mm -hmm. Which nobody was going to pay for a prep pitcher. Right. You can do that because there's a lot of family money. And look, he's probably going to be a top three pick in the draft next year. Yeah. Almost certainly top 10. If all goes well. And he'll Although, probably get. He's, he's going to be a draft eligible freshman. So he's still going to have a lot of leverage. Right. But I think if, you know, you give him slot at six for five and a half million, he probably takes it. Yeah. And you're also a lot, you're a lot more willing to do that for a college pitcher than you were <laughs> a slightly old prep pitcher. Yep. Just a little weird because he's not a demonstrably different prospect than he previously was. He has a better changeup now. Yeah, he does. But that was also sure. reasonably foreseeable that he would develop a better changeup. Going to Vanderbilt, yeah. Or in a pro. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, said this one before Vanderbilt's pitching development is better than several major league teams are certainly better than the Mets of recent vintage as shown by the fact that Vanderbilt coaches in their pitching development program keep getting hired by major league teams yeah 
So anyway, back to Johnny's question. Um, I don't have a good answer for this, Johnny. That might be why we're meandering. As if we need an excuse. Yeah. So I will I will tie this into soccer for a moment. Probably the best player in recent Sheffield Wednesday history, certainly in my lifetime, is kind of an obnoxious Brexiter. Which again, not surprising for a nineties footballer, in all honesty. Mm. Now does that mean I'm not gonna grab a beer with him at the football factory if he happens to be in town? I mean, probably not. You have to you know, I don't again, I don't have a good answer for this. I don't either. I think it's an individual determination. And I don't think there's an obvious right or wrong, necessarily. But Major League Baseball does tend to skew um, more right-wing for a variety of reasons. Um, But a lot of it's just sort of demographics. It's rich rich white families from Texas and Florida suburbs in a lot of cases. I also want to make clear, I've made this point on the podcast, I will keep making it. Mm-hmm. The problem with Trevor Bauer is only in very small part his political beliefs. Right. I mean, David, like, I'll just say it, David Wright probably voted for Trump. I don't know if he did. I don't know I if don't he did either. I don't know if he didn't. Um, there are certainly players on the Mets currently who did. Right. Um... But that it now is that a part of a larger problem personality? Yes. Is it the core of the problem personality? No, it's not. It's that he harasses women online and that he's a conspiracy theorist and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The public support for Trump is part of that. But, you know, this is a guy who wrote on the back of a major league mound an acronym for Bush did 9-11. I mean, he's a, like, I don't think he actually has any, I don't know. He's a troll. not that he's a Trumper, it's he's an edgelord. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. He just does things to get a reaction and publicly supporting Trump on baseball Twitter is a good way to get a reaction, much like writing Bush did 9-11 on the back of the mound and claiming it has, you have no idea what it means or the way he's dodged the question about his spin rate manipulation this year. And not going to dispute, there are positive things that Trevor Bauer has done. Sure. There are also positive things that Kurt Schilling has done. We mentioned this a few weeks yeah. ago. Kurt Schilling as a player was known for his charity work and accessibility to fans. Mm-hmm. And those were true, too. Posting on Sons of Sam Horn, quite famously. Right. That was true, too. Trevor Bauer has done some positive things. You know, um, you know he has supported charities. Uh, he has you know, been accessible to certain classes of fans. A lot of his criticisms of Major League Baseball are similar to criticisms we would levy as well. Yes. Um, It's literally the 
uh, click hole meme. That does not vindicate all of the bad shit he does. Right. But people are complicated. Sure. And I think it's important to consider in the in, in relation to Johnny's question that people are complicated. I am not going to come on here and tell you you should no longer root for the Mets if they sign Trevor Bauer. They might sign Trevor Bauer. I don't expect I will stop rooting for the Mets entirely in that circumstance. But this is an individual decision that you have to decide what you're okay with and what you can square away. Um, And, you know, I think support of Trevor Bauer is over the line. I think most, most... People I know also, frankly, agree with that, at least that know about Trevor Bauer's harassment, uh, Trevor Bauer's harmful internet presence, but, you know, I'm sure there's people that disagree, too. But, you know, you have to... You have to decide what's okay with you. And, you know, we've kind of... We, we've drawn some lines at certain points for what's okay with us and what we think people should be okay with. I like, mean, I would... like the other thing is after they, I mean, after the Familia domestic violence incident happened and even after they resigned Familia, we did not stop watching the Mets. Yeah. I mean, this podcast has been talking a lot about Randy Rosarena for the last three yeah. months. You're not going to hear us talk about Randy Rosarena very much moving forward. And I think it's very obvious why. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's a line I've drawn. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter. We did not rank Jihuan Bay in the Pirates top 10 last year. And I ignored questions on it. Um, if you don't know why we didn't rank Jihuan Bay in the Pirates top 10 last year, and you can't figure it out. That's not my problem. If you know Jihan Bay should have been on talent in the Pirates top ten, I think you actually said this. You know yes, why we didn't exactly. rank him. Yes. Um, so we're dealing with this with O'Neill Cruz right now. Yes. To keep it with the Pirates. And that's a much more serious situation. Um in terms of you know, O'Neill Cruz was involved in a multiple fatality automobile accident. Uh, it's not clear what happened, really. Yeah. Um, he is currently playing in the Dominican Winter League. Or at least was this is the last time I looked. But I shouldn't say currently because guys come in and out of the Dominican Winter right. League all the time. And he was he allowed won. to play in the Dominican Winter yeah. League. He has been. He has played in the Dominican Winter League. Uh, you know, unless. And, like, we've both enjoyed watching O'Neill Cruz play baseball as a prospect. Sure, a lot. And, you know, I said this on Twitter, like, I'm tired of ranking shitheads based solely on whether their shitheadery will impact their ability to continue to play baseball. Right, but there's, like, no good way to deal with that because there has... there We, we have to put a line somewhere. Right, the... the whatever as as stupid and arbitrary and dumb as it is the 
top 101 prospect list we're going to put out, we're going to finalize the next couple of weeks and publish a month after that, has to represent something. Yeah. It has to have a discernible and defensible process. Now, is that... This is something I saw this week on Twitter, too. So is this... Uh, now, is this rules following or is this ethics is the thing? I don't know. Am I am I following the rules when I rank Randy Rosarena? Because I think it's reasonable that he's going to serve maybe a thirty game suspension, if even that, and then resume his baseball playing career. And I'm making a long term value proposition determination on what his peak three seasons will be. That sounds like rules following to me. Of course, it's rules following. You know. In relation to the Bauer stuff, you know, and I just like don't want to talk about this anymore. It it's it saps the joy out of what should be like a fun off season for the Mets. I will talk about the same fucking Francisco Lindor trade proposals you send us every week before that, but right, you gotta deal with this. Like like this is just looming over the off-season that they might sign a guy that, you know, me and a lot of my friends who also cheer for the team just don't want anywhere around. And sort of the idea that I don't know that... I think it's a little bit of a cop-out to suggest that sports should be an escape. I think that I think that allows us to. I'm not a little bit of a cop out. It's a big cop out, right? But like anything else, you voluntarily spend your free time on. I mean, it's not necessarily free time for us, but yeah. Sort of looking at it from the fandom perspective, it should be fun. You should enjoy it. You should get more out of it than you put into it. And yes, (laughs) using this as an example for the uh, 2010s Mets is is tricky, but there is still joy in sort of the day-to-day of watching and following a baseball team and watching players like Jacob deGrom and Jeff McNeil and Pete Alonzo and Dominic Smith and, you know, whoever else, R.A. Dickey to go uh, further back, you know, Matt Harvey. We were in a discussion in the DM recently about sort of the best Mets players or Mets seasons of our lifetime and... You know, there's a lot of like even the bad years. There's usually something to take from it. Yeah, maybe that's that's self justifying, and we're all a little bit crazy, which fair enough. But I mean, we are, but sure. But it should be fun, and just like I don't get any enjoyment out of watching Trevor Bauer pitch because you know, for me personally, I can't separate the rest from it and bauer has made it clear that he wants like that's a conscious choice on his part to make that persona an indelible part of trevor bauer the baseball player yeah it's not gonna stop no it's only gonna get worse right i mean you know maybe he'll eventually you know grow some social media filter or whatever. It is possible. I'm, mm. I'm an example that it's occasionally possible. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, 
also never harass women on Twitter, so... Well, this has already been a depressing third half of the show, and it's not uh, going to get any less depressing. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about Bob Ryder, switching over to the wrestling portion, because yeah. uh, he was certainly a formative influence on the obnoxious smart wrestling fan I became at, like, 17. Uh, so for the listeners that don't know, Bob Ryder was... I guess at the time, I don't know if he was actually working for WCW. I mean, he goes back to like the prodigy days of the yeah. wrestling internet. Uh, Brian and Dave just did a Observer Live about sort of the early days of the wrestling internet. I wasn't there for, you know, the rec.sports.pro wrestling era or the prodigy I actually era. Was, you but... were. But yeah. I did uh, the first wrestling message board and website I ever. I don't fucking know how I found it. It would have been the middle of 1999 so the summer between my junior and senior year of high school i discovered one wrestling.com no idea how uh, i had gotten probably back into wrestling i'd say 98 ish trying to probably right after the tyson austin wrestlemania yeah. so i've been like yeah i've been like spring summer 1998 um after austin won the title from michaels and whatever i was just a kid in just a dork in high school wearing in whatever austin 316 shirt and i don't think i actually owned the austin 316 shirt but I yeah uh you know watching raw every week and i watched uh nitro too i think in that era for the most part um and then at some point in the middle of 1999, I found the com website and message board. And the Wrestling for Smarks forum, which was the main <laughs> discussion of Nitro and Raw at the time. Yeah. Um, still occasionally talk to several people that I met on that forum. My, uh, yeah, my, this wasn't actually from the, uh, same forum, but I, I still have a friend I talk to fairly regularly that I met on, uh, I believe it would have been Scott Keith's forum in about the same time period. Yeah. Yeah. What was, what was he? Uh, I remember the name of his website. RSPW FAC. Yes, RSPW FAC. God. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I was an RSPW guy. Right, so. RSPW frequently asked questions. God. Yeah. So I was... You know, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, my, it was like my, Scott, was my, it like scottkeep.net after that, I think. Right. My longest lived internet friend that I've been talking to for over 20 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Holzerman, I met the Holzerman on the one wrestling.com message boards in the EFED. Yeah. Former pot, former podcast. Yes. The Holzerman. Um, I'm trying to think who else at this point. Um, uh, very notable, Internet wrestling Twitter personality Dylan Hales yeah. was also on that uh, message board and made the migration from one wrestling to a one wrestling dot com, which was founded by the Ruggiero brothers because they didn't like Bob Ryder's <laughs> uh, censoring of them on the one wrestling dot com message board. This is a very late nineties like forum bullshit stuff. <laughs> I should probably throw in here somewhere. I actually knew Bob Ryder a little mm. bit in this time period. Uh, so we, we should were... give some context, but he he died this week. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think he was currently working for for he's, Impact. He just worked for TNA since TNA. For TNA. So he was involved yeah. in the TNA. Yes, TNA. right. Um, you know, I was Bob Ryder and I were aim buddies. So yes. this is the time period. And like, I feel bad in a way because he's always sort of a figure of 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 fun, I guess, in a way. Like, I was a shitty, cynical teenager, and his like love of WCW to me was like dumb and sit yeah. I was like cynical about it. Like but like I wouldn't be the I wouldn't have found so much about the pro wrestling world that I did in the late nineties and early two thousands if I hadn't stumbled upon his website. Like I found like the Michael K. Johnson bus trips through that and did a yeah. bunch of those in college. Yeah. And that's how I found like Jersey All Pro and went to an ECWA Super Eight and some early ROH stuff and yeah. any other number of things. Right. The, the, well things weren't like they are now right yeah you had to like randomly stumble upon shit basically right like you know you can't you couldn't just like find like-minded people on twitter Mm. and like become part of their community or whatnot like you couldn't pull a brady child in (laughs) 2000 1999 or 2000 like you couldn't just like you know, you, well, you, couldn't, so... you couldn't maneuver your way in two years into a Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame vote. If you want to play this out to its networking. weird logical conclusion, I went from one wrestling to yeah. A1 wrestling, and then the A1 wrestling baseball forum, I followed a link to Baseball Prospectus in like 2003. Sure. That's and that's how... how I found Baseball Prospectus, which I now work for yeah. 17 years later. Yeah. But uh, Bob Ryder was. Uh... You know, I would say controversial in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, I talked to him probably 15, 18 years. So, you know, I didn't know him well or anything. It was just, you know, chat buddy, basically, mm-hmm. back in the old AIM days. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of... What was your AIM handle, if you feel comfortable giving that out? <laughs> I went through a bunch of those. I did, I too. Know. I never remember, I don't yeah. know what I would have used at that time. No. Or was it Chad Pennington related one? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh. So, more wrestling chat. You want to talk about Survivor Series for some reason? You watch this. Teams of five strive to survive. I guess we have the title for the show now. (laughs) Oh, God, this was... This was a wrestling show. I was just, I, you know, I still do try and watch the major WWE shows, so the Survivor Series. You know, I have, I have fond childhood memories of Teams of Five striving to survive. I, the first uh, wrestling show I went to was the Undertaker, ironically enough, the Undertaker's debut in 1990. It's Survivor yeah, Series 90 at were, the Hartford Civic Center. Yeah, they were advertising the Undertaker retirement, which frankly kind of sucked. Yeah, I mean, he's had, yeah. So. It was very repetitive and similar to what they did at the end of the Orlando Mania, except they brought out a bunch of people. But. I don't, like, like, I know it's pro wrestling and everyone has, like, six retirement matches, but they really. The Roman Reigns match seemed at least like a. Lovely nostalgic send off. So the boneyard match, right? Like, yeah, and like know. any of these, yeah, I know. Right, but like you don't need to just bring him out in front of a video board and have him, 
Yeah, give a bad interview and pose to a Paul Bearer hologram. Like, it was just terribly depressing. Yeah, and it's, I guess it's tough because they obviously can't do. You kind of needed a live crowd for it. You could have just waited to do Undertaker's retirement ceremony until there was a live crowd. Right, I guess they wanted to do, like, the 30th anniversary of his debut. But it's just, yeah. It's like a very, like, everything else in WWE recently is just a very weird series of decisions being made and it's not like you're trying to even like like are you really going to juice like network subscriptions for this mm. you you could probably pop a raw rating if you want to go in that direction there might actually be like you know positive business consequences for all that matters i don't i don't know okay and again, i'll put it this rest- way do we actually believe the undertaker is actually retired now and won't do like a Saudi Arabia show in I mean, eighteen months. Do, when yeah, it's, he's yeah. going to do that, but I think he's probably functionally done. sure. Um, as a show, it was like they've gotten the Thunderdome aesthetics down to where it no longer gives me a migraine. <laughs> they stopped like flipping all the screens around and shit, so at mm. least that's better. You know, it was a perfectly fine wrestling show. The women's Survivor Series match was one of the worst matches I've seen in recent times. It went, it was bad. It went a half an hour, and it went a half an hour for like the worst finish imaginable. They did a double yes. count out so Lana could be the sole survivor. Basically, the old, uh, if you remember the '91 Survivor Series, it was the Ric Flair yeah, finish yeah, yeah, yeah. at your Survivor Series. But, like, just much worse. We're determined to not get anyone over in this match. Right. Right. So, that was just, like, some bad decision-making all around. Uh, But, like, the show was fine. You know, the Roman Reigns-Drew McIntyre match had a New Japan Bullet Club finish, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just what they were going to do with that match, I guess, at this point. Sure. I know. Like, I just... So, I guess... I know it's been a weird year for professional wrestling. What the fuck is WrestleMania? Like, what are they building towards? I mean, they're building towards Roman Reigns and The Rock. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to get that. Yeah, that's very obviously what they're building towards. A big match if it happens. Yeah. I, you know. And they're definitely going to try to do an event with fans, probably in Tampa again, I would imagine. I'm sure they are. Which they may pulled off by March. I mean, yeah, they just try talking, anyway. Yeah, they're talking about delaying many until like late April or May. If right. Things look like they're going to be a lot better by that point. It seems like they might be. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't have a lot of interest in the week to week. This confirmed that I just, like, yeah. I don't, this isn't a very interesting product to me. And I don't know if that's ever actually going to change. It's probably not going to change as long as Vince is running it, which is disappointing. Uh, You know, I guess that, you know, there's individual things that I can get interested in, you know, when they have something big and good, like, you know, the Becky Lynch storylines until they fuck those up in the actual mania. Which they inevitably do. Right. But, you know, they can't have... Like, the Robin Reigns stuff is interesting. It's not interesting enough for me to watch week to week. That's a good storyline. Roman sure. Reigns is doing a very good job. And Roman Reigns is very good. And at the end of this, Roman Reigns is going to be a much bigger star than he was. Mm-hmm. 
at the beginning. They, if they had done this five years ago, he would have right. been exactly what they wanted. Yeah, but they just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. AEW. AEW. As I will uh, say to Jarrett, I will say to them, watch another show. Yeah. Winter is coming. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, to borrow a line from one of my internet wrestling friends, Kenny is winning. Yeah, so it feels like a really short build for the end of John Moxley's world title reign. One of two things is happening here. Yeah. Kenny's winning or they're doing a time of withdrawal. And I could see either one of those. Uh Meltzer's been out there saying that if they're doing a time limit draw, it has to be a 60-minute time limit draw. I'm not sure I agree with them. Mm. They've done, I, I'm trying to remember what they've done for title matches in the past. They've just I mean, put like, them on with like 25 minutes of TV <laughs> yes, I know. and they've all ended in that I'm trying time to think period. Like, when they've done pay-per-view, have they announced an actual time limit? Yeah, it's 60 minutes. So like the thing is, the problem is if you are doing intros at 8.55 p.m. on Wednesday. You're kind of giving away the... I mean, I guess they've right, gone close enough to time lemon draws before that they can... didn't do it for the Moxley-Brian Cage match. That's right. the problem. Yeah. Um, if you had I mean, done it for the Moxley-Brian Cage match and then ended the match at 9.25, it would be fine. Mm-hmm. It would also be fine if you actually did that and then had them had Kenny just win in 32 minutes. Right. That's another option. I mean, they have said... They the, will... other, the other way to do this, and they have done this in the past, is they could actually start the show with it. Yeah. They have um, started the show a few times. I mean, before. the other thing they can do, as they've said before, is that, you know, we're going on at 9.20, but it's a 60-minute time limit. If it goes past 10 o'clock, we'll put it on YouTube and then just end it at 9.55. Or, you know, TNT has granted us as much time as needed to... Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's ways to get around that. I mean, I think they should have Omega win in a good 32-minute match. Yes. It's I would but not it, do but it's gonna feel... I would change, I would change the title. It's going to feel... And this is... <laughs> most of this is not their fault because it's just the nature of the year we have they're not gonna have enough fans there to make the title change feel like i'm sure if they had their druthers they would have ended up doing this in you know philly or dc or chicago with a full house i'm sure they would have um and it would have been like and then the fact that it's like a two three week bill doesn't really matter as much but it just feels like i don't know They've also stayed away from sort of the... Maybe this is my problem as a long-time wrestling fan. Like, I'm looking for, like, the stayed tropes of, like, the Kenny Omega Young Bucks versus Moxley Darby and whoever. Assuming they didn't turn Will Hobbs yet. Six-man tag match. I know they already turned Will Hobbs. They like they, they, the six-man tag match, go home, brawl, which they have done. They did it before uh, their first pay-per-view once they started TV, but it's not something they've really done in the recent builds. And it's it's more difficult to do with Moxley since Moxley's whole thing is he has no friends. Yeah. I mean, they'll be fine. I think it'll be a great match. I expect that it's going to leave it all. I'm just going to feel a little 
after all the dudes Moxley has run through in the last six months, it's going to feel a little anticlimactic to me. But I think they have to change the title here. Or do some kind of time limit or then change the title of the pay-per-view. That's an option, too. Yeah, I just... Eh. Yeah, I don't know. I do think Moxley's, like, almost out of opponents. Yeah, that you could, is... You could go to a Jericho rematch. You could I'm have a little went... surprised they didn't do that at some point in sort yeah. of the... During the Archer-Cage... I don't, I don't know if there was a Kingston lot more there... No, but you could they have had at least a bad WWE feud already. Like they could have I heated. I think feel like they could have heated that back up. I don't know. Yeah, and it might have been. It's the kind of thing that might have played better on TV with no fans. They could have done like their Jericho's fun videos, and I feel like more like promo build stuff would work. But yeah, like there's guys that could have gotten in position for him, but they don't really actually. Like, if he wins this, who's he defending against in the pay-per-view? Another Lance Archer match? Yeah, I mean, he's already beaten. He beat MJF. He beat... You can go back to MJF, but... Right, but it's all, all like... It's, like, rematches or guys guys getting heated up. Like, I don't think you could get Paige there that quickly. Yeah. You know, I guess you could get Pac there that quickly. Sure. They've done Moxley and Pac twice already. Yep. They're both good matches, but yeah, it's not... Like you're not you're not delving into new territory there, and you can always go back to Moxley as champion when there's fans. That's, yeah, that's fine. you know something you're perfectly okay doing. Uh, but I, I I think Omega's winning the title here. I would be tempted to have him actually win it fairly quickly. I would be tempted not to do the, the 32-minute yeah, here and have him, like, just, like, you know, hit the one-wing angel, surprisingly eight minutes into the match and pin him. Wow, that's interesting. I would I would be tempted to do that. Uh, so I guess that's... I would, be, I would basically be tempted to work this as a semi-squash. That's interesting. And they have not been afraid to do that before. They did it with Brody Lee and Cody. I don't think they're going to. I yeah. think this. Is well, I think be the, the problem. The storyline is this kind of has to be a five star match. Yeah, like that's the way they've built it. Um, so, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. That would be interesting, and then you do a lot of things playing off that. But I also like. I feel like it's a compelling story to have Moxley try to like. To hang with Omega at his own game, but fall short in the end. I also think. And I think that also opens you to doing a rematch in February with them. My guess for the finish here is that Omega can't put Moxley away at his own game and ends up cheating to win. Yeah. I don't know and that they, I love that, but But that's that feels like it's where they've been going that you know. And then you at run the, it back as a no DQ, like at the at the end, he's not going to be able to beat him, so he's going to kick him in the nuts and then hit the one one Angel. Okay, I can see that. Again, AEW is sometimes predictable and sometimes not. The only finish I would be surprised here is Moxley over clean. Yeah, um, I could see 
I could see a screwy finish where Moxley wins. I could see a time on the draw. I could see Omega over clean. I could see a screwy finish for Omega. I can't see the way this story has been going with Omega, Moxley over clean. Yeah. Which think... is interesting because every single Moxley match since this promotion started has been Moxley over clean. Yeah, more. I mean, he did. I mean, use, he's had uh, a time of a draw. He lost a tag match, but he has not taken a fall. He did use his finish behind the ref's back in the MJF match, which yeah, you can yeah. minor has, level of screwiness. Yeah. For a year and a half, this guy has basically won every single match with his move, mm-hmm. and I think it's very clear that's not happening in this match. Right. So, I mean, I could actually see them breaking like the Death Rider too. Yeah. I think it'll be really good, and I'm looking forward to watching it. I am too, except you scheduled a top ten list call. Oh, did it. I? I did, didn't I? All right, well, I mean, we'll both TiVo it and watch it next week <laughs> for another edition. But for all you kids out there. Two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.